So Holy Spirit, now we ask that you would use the words of Scripture to help us to know how we can apply that passage to our life, how we can walk in its truth and follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I heard a pastor recently uh, say a while back that he was preaching, and he made the point that when the, in the Bible, the word saint is used to refer to anyone who follows Jesus, not just specially holy people. And he, he really wanted to drive this point home, so he said, now to make this point clear, I want you to stand, uh, introduce yourself to the person next to you and say, hello, my name is Saint so-and-so, and then insert your name after the word saint. Well, after this happened, after the service, a little eight-year-old boy came up to him really upset, and the pastor wanted to know who he was talking to, so he asked the boy, what's your name? And the little boy said, Bernard. (laughs) And St. Bernard was not the title that he wanted to be known by. I want to start with this question. What titles do you want to be known by? What titles are you looking for? Because we're all trying to acquire some kind of titles in our lives. Some of them are professional, like doctor or president or senator. But the ones I think that we are really striving after are informal titles. Things like the good-looking guy, which is what I'm known as. (laughs) The smart one. Successful. Wealthy, super athlete, what are the titles that you are trying to acquire in life? Let me ask you a second question. What if, this is the last in the sermon series called What If, what if instead of trying to go for titles, we went for a life of testimony instead? Not that there's anything wrong with titles, they're just fine if they happen to come our way, but if we spend too much time trying to get all those titles, Mr. Successful or Wealthy or whatever it is, Well, then sometimes our marriages can fall apart because we're not spending time together. Our kids don't know us. We can end up wondering if there isn't more to life than just this title. So what if we focused on having a testimony instead? Sometimes you can have both, titles and testimony, but usually you have to focus. Well, what's a life of testimony? Well, I think it's a lot of things, but for starters, it includes things like deep friendships, A legacy of people who say their life is better because of you. It means having kids who don't just end up going to good colleges and getting good jobs, but who grow to honorable manhood and womanhood. It means having great marriages and great families. And most important, a dynamic relationship with Jesus. What if we went for testimony more than we went for title? And that's one of the things going on in this story that we just read about Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Pilate had the title... Jesus had the testimony. And Matthew even underscores that by referring to Pilate mostly by his title, governor, whereas he refers to Jesus just as Jesus. Pilate had the title, Jesus had the testimony, and testimony is actually stronger than titles because as it turns out, titles aren't all they're cracked up to be. This summer I did an out-of-town wedding and at the rehearsal dinner a woman asked me, you know, she said, so you're the pastor and so we entered into that pastor conversation that I always love. And I said, yes, I am the pastor. And she said, well, what do you do Monday through Friday? Because that's not a full-time job, right? (laughs) And I said, no, shockingly, it's full-time. And she said, well, do you get paid for it? And I said, yes. And she said, really? And I said, yes. And then she said, do you get profit sharing? What would that be? A cut of every soul saved, right? Or like, 
I suppose she could have meant prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, but so much for my title, Reverend Doctor, right? She wasn't impressed by it. She didn't even know what it meant. Our titles ultimately actually don't impress people, whether they're the formal ones or the informal ones. At best, they inspire superficial admiration. But you know what usually our successes do? They don't make people love us. They make people resent us or get envious of us. But a testimony of a life well-led, well, now that inspires This week, along with many of you, I went to Barb Hoffman's memorial, one of the great saints of our church. And as much as I grieve her passing, I left that memorial inspired. Because as her sons and friends talked about the legacy that she left behind through the example she set of loving Jesus, of sacrificing for her children, of the ways that she and her husband Clark have changed so many lives through the ways they've served here and in places like China. I left that memorial, I want to live a better life. That is the power of testimony over title. It transforms. And there are four things we need in order to have a testimony. And the first goes without saying. We need Jesus. Only Jesus can give us the power. Only he can love us in ways that transform us. To have a testimony, we got to have Jesus in our life. Second, we need authority more than power because there's a difference. And in our culture, we tend to go for power, but authority is stronger. Let me explain. Power is the ability to force someone to do something because you hold something over them. A boss can fire someone. A cop can arrest someone. Elected officials can make laws. That's power. Someone told me the other day he was driving with his eight-year-old daughter and he made a right-hand turn where it wasn't allowed. And he said, oh, darn, I just made an illegal turn. And his daughter said, that's okay. The policeman right behind us just did the same thing. (laughs) The policeman has power to enforce something, right? Authority, on the other hand, is when you can inspire someone to want to do something. Now, it's possible to have both power and authority, especially if we use power for good. But of the two, authority is more transformative. For example, in 1948, the British army had all the power in India, but Gandhi had the authority. In 1950 South, the police had power, but Martin Luther King had authority. How do we get authority? Two ways. The first is through sacrifice for a higher purpose. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King have authority because they sacrificed for a higher purpose. Barb Hoffman had authority because of the ways that she sacrificed for her children and for others. The other way we gain authority is through having integrity, a.k.a. walking our talk. I know a man that whenever he was on an out-of-town business trip, his team, which included his boss, they would always want to go to a strip club. And, And this man was a Christian, so he'd always say the same thing. He'd say, you know what? What I have at home with my wife is so good, no strip club could compare, so I'm not interested. No thanks. Just drop me off at the hotel. And they'd give him a hard time. Oh, you're not one of the guys, you know. But eventually, later, one of, one of his coworkers came up to him and he said, you seem to have a great marriage. I would like to have a great marriage too. How do you get it? And then this man said, well, I just treat my wife the way the Bible says to do it. And that led to a great conversation about Jesus and marriage and integrity. Now, this man had no power. He had no title. The boss had those things, but he had enormous authority because he walked his talk. 
And it's the same in the story we just read. Pilate has all the titles, he has all the power, but he is clearly rattled by Jesus' quiet authority. Right? And by the end, Pilate comes off looking weak, vacillating. He knows he's wrong, but he's afraid of the crowd. He's afraid of his wife. So he washes his hands and says, I'm innocent. Passive, wimpy, fearful, spineless, henpecked. But other than that, a great guy. He had power. He had titles. But no authority, no testimony. Jesus had those. A third thing we need in order to have a testimony is you've got to have a test. And I'm not going to say much about this because I've talked about it in other sermons, but how we overcome adversity, how we stand for what is right when everyone else is opposing us, that all contributes to a life that has a great testimony. If you want a testimony, you've got to have a test. So embrace the test because it's part of your testimony. We need Jesus. We need authority. We need a test. And finally, if we want a testimony, we need to leave a legacy behind. And by legacy, I don't mean books written or degrees earned or resumes padded. Legacy is about having a list of people who will say about you, that person changed my life forever. And that doesn't happen overnight. That comes from a lifetime of small steps. And not everyone ends up having that kind of legacy in life. I heard a story recently about an elderly man who had a hearing problem. And his family tried and tried to get him to get a hearing aid. Finally, he got one and it helped. Well, a month later, he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, wow, your hearing is, is perfect. Your, your family must be thrilled that you can hear again. And the old man said, oh, oh I haven't told them yet. I, I just listened to them talk about me, thinking that I can't hear them. Yeah, I've changed my will three times. <laughs> Apparently, he's not leaving a lot of legacy behind in a positive way, right? Legacy means making a difference in people's lives. And that does not happen all at once. That happens through a thousand small steps of service. A few weeks ago, our children's pastor, Jane Lewis, talked about how as a kid she would see her mother every morning reading the Bible. And that made her want to read the Bible, want to know Jesus. You see, values are caught, not taught. So what are you passing on? First of all, in your family to your kids, whether they're grown or not, by how you live, by how you love Jesus, by how you grow older, by how you spend your money, by how you overcome adversity, what are you passing on to them? I've told you many times before about my grandmother who raised six kids after her husband abandoned the family. They were poor. For a season, they were homeless. But she had a vision that she was going to get all six of her kids to college, and she got her done. And along the way, passed on to her kids and her grandkids lessons about perseverance, hope, courage in the face of adversity, and forgiveness. I never heard her once say a bad word about my grandfather. She would always just say, you know what? He was part of my story, and God used him to make him the person that I am today. She left a legacy in her family through a thousand daily acts of courage. What legacy are you leaving in your family? A really simple thing you could do is sit down with your spouse, your kids, even if they're grown, and say, what legacy do we want our family to leave behind? And then write down, these are some practical ways we're going to do things to enforce that legacy. Ways we're going to serve together or pray together or give our money. Whatever it is to leave a legacy in your family. Another place we leave a legacy is out in the world. And there are tons of ways to leave a legacy in the world. You could tutor an at-risk kid. You, you could teach Sunday school. You could sponsor a child at the Center for Champions. 
When I was in, in college, I was part of a Bible study that was led by the college pastor. And he had invited this couple that were in their late 60s to be part of this Bible study of, of college students. And as a college student, I remember thinking that they were so old. Now, of course, I know they were really quite young, spring chickens really. But, <laughs> but then they seemed, you know, ancient of days. Well, Carl, the husband who was part of this this couple, he was an incredible mentor. Uh, he would take each of the guys in this group fishing, one at a time. And, and while you were fishing with him, Carl could fix your life in 30 minutes. Like, if, if it couldn't get fixed on a fishing trip with Carl, you were just in trouble, because it just couldn't get fixed, right? He had the spiritual gift of fishing. Well, I remember one night during our Bible study, you know, he had been mentoring all of us, and we were having this Bible study, and all of us college students were fretting about various romantic relationships, you know, is this the right person for me? I just don't know. I just know they, they seem to lack that certain je ne sais quoi, whatever, right? Finally, Carl, who'd been silent the whole night, just started shaking his head, and he goes, you young people, all this fuss about finding the right person, why, in my day, we just found a spark and fanned it till it flamed. We all sat in silence saying, we have been in the presence of true wisdom tonight. <laughs> then he went on to say, look, it's not about finding the right person. It's about committing to making the marriage work and putting Jesus in the middle of it. He put his arm around his wife and said, that's how I've stayed married to my lovely bride for over 50 years. Carl left a legacy because he was a mentor. Are you leaving a legacy? There's a man named Louis Zamperini who's 94 years old. He is a member of the First Presbyterian Church, Hollywood, California. He has a great testimony. He's done all of these things. He was the man, if you're into running, you may know his name. He was the man that everyone thought would be the first person to run a mile in under four minutes. When he was growing up as a teenager, he was an at-risk teen. He was, he was always in trouble with the law for stealing, vandalism, you name it. But then his older brother, Pete, Got him, on, got him into track, got him into running. And Pete became his lifelong coach and his lifelong best friend. And running turned Louis's life around, and he began to shatter national records. And everyone was just sure, because he was posting times nobody had ever seen before. And everyone, and he was closing in on that four-minute mile, and everyone was sure that he would break the four-minute mile when he hit his prime right in time for the 1940 Olympics. But they were canceled because of this little thing called World War II. Louis was drafted, became a bomber. One day his plane crashed in the Pacific, and he and two other people drifted on a raft for five weeks with only rainwater to drink and a couple of fish that they managed to catch to eat, all the while sharks circling them, and at some times the sharks would even leap out of the water onto the raft with their jaws open. Jeez. Five weeks later they drifted onto a Japanese island weighing only 80 pounds, and they were put in a concentration camp with a psychotic commander named The Bird, who beat Louis with sticks and bats every single day. He and the other guards beat him every single day, forced him to do things like eat human excrement, all kinds of stuff, every day for almost two years. Well, when the war ended, Louis went home, but his body was wrecked from all the torture and he couldn't run anymore. On his first day back in the States, he started having flashbacks. Not just memories, but the room around him would fade and he would be back in the camp being beaten by the guards and, and he would just he would in, fall to the floor screaming. Every night he would wake up screaming from nightmares. Every night. To cope with it all, he became an alcoholic and he formed a plan to go back to Japan, find the bird, and murder him. He started fighting with others, became verbally abusive to his wife, 
she wanted a divorce. But then as a last-ditch effort, she convinced Louis to, to go hear a preacher nobody had ever heard of before named Billy Graham. And he went, and he hated it. He was so angry. He got so angry when Graham started talking about how we all needed forgiveness, and he thought, I don't need forgiven. He, he stormed out of the meeting and went home. Well, then his wife and a friend of his, they started nagging him, harassing him, begging him for weeks on end to go back and try one more time. Louis finally gave in. He went back one more time. Again, Graham just made him furious. He got up, stormed out of the meeting, but this time as he was walking out, he suddenly had a flashback of a night that he had long forgotten when he was on the raft in the Pacific and he looked up and he saw the Milky Way and he suddenly felt a loving presence with him and he knew that it was the creator of everything. And he no longer felt afraid, he felt at peace. And he said, if you get me out of this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Now because of all the years of torture and everything, he'd long forgotten that night, but suddenly he remembered it and he said that was the last flashback he ever had. Without knowing how, he suddenly found himself turning around, walking down the aisle, and giving his life to Jesus. He felt that presence again. He felt deeply loved. He went home, dumped out all of his alcohol, never looked back. And he started to realize that all the beatings had left him with a sense of not being human, of not being important. But the feeling he had of God's love gave him a new sense of dignity and restored his humanity and his soul. Well, a year later... He was still following Jesus, but he wondered if his newfound joy would last if he ever saw the guards that had beat him. Nobody knew where the bird was, but the other guards, they were in prison in Japan. So Louis went back to Japan. When he saw the guards, he felt this sudden rush of love and forgiveness in his heart. And with tears in his eyes, he hugged them and said, I come filled with the love of Jesus for you guys. Which helped those guards overcome their own sense of shame and guilt for all the stuff that they'd done. From there, Louis took a number of odd jobs. He would do the occasional speaking gig, but refused to take a big honorarium because he was afraid it would detract high schools and elementary schools from asking him to speak. He also started taking groups of at-risk teenage boys, the kind of kid that he'd been, up to the mountains for rock climbing trips. And he'd use the rock climbing trips to teach lessons about teamwork and courage and integrity and how to be a noble man. And over the years, his mentoring has turned hundreds of kids around, kids destined for jail. He and his wife had a great marriage, a happy family. In the 90s, when the Japanese authorities finally found the bird, Louis wrote a letter of forgiveness saying, I forgive you, I release you. A few years later, his brother Pete was dying, and Louis went to see him. And as Pete was dying, Louis climbed into the bed with Pete, just like when they were little kids and shared a bed together. And he said, Pete, I want you to know, you're my hero. You know, all those kids I took rock climbing, all those kids whose lives have been turned around, Pete, they're your kids. You did that. Because you see, Pete, you were there for me when I needed you, so I was there for them when they needed me. You did that. They're your legacy, Pete. And those were the words that his brother Pete heard as he died. Louis is still alive. He is 94 years old. His neighbors say he is one of the most fun people they've ever met. In his late 80s, he was still rock climbing and skiing and I think he even parachuted, all kinds of stuff. Has a great sense of humor. He is just fun to be around and has inspired a lot of other people to follow Jesus because of the kind of life he leads. Louis does not hold the title first man to break the four-minute mile. Roger Bannister holds that title. A Brit, not even American. How irritating is that? <laughs> Louis doesn't have a title. 
but he has a testimony. Jesus changed his life. He had authority. He faced a test, and he left a legacy. So, what about you? Are you leading a life that leads to testimony? And do you do it daily in all the small steps you take? Because it doesn't happen overnight. Louis' testimony was built through a hundred steps over all of his 94 years to follow Jesus, to love his wife and kids, to serve others. So what small steps can you take to start having a testimony? Maybe it's to work less and be with your family more. Maybe it is to treat your spouse the way the Bible says to, to restore your marriage. Maybe it is to persevere through some adversity that leaves lessons of courage and faith to those around you. Maybe it's to mentor someone or teach Sunday school or some other way of making a difference so that you can have a testimony. Because here's the thing, guys. Our culture says title's where it's at, man. The title is what you want to go for. And here's the thing. Titles are fine as far as they go but they are not nearly as rewarding as a testimony, and they do not last. You know, nobody today names their kid Pontius Pilate. You know, you never hear parents on the baseball field saying, hit a home run, Ponty, right? You don't hear that. But the names of Jesus' followers, Peter, John, Mary, Martha, those names you hear all the time. And in Latin America, lots of people name their kid Jesus. Titles wear out, but testimony lasts. As speaker Tony Campolo puts it, you see it all through the Bible. Pharaoh, he had the title, king of Egypt. That is a good title. But Moses had the testimony, and he got to see an ocean divide in two. Goliath, he had the title, general of the Philistine army. But David had the testimony and saw a giant fall. Jezebel, she had the title, queen of Israel. That is a good title. That's as good as it gets, except for maybe king. But Elijah had the testimony. Darius, he had the title, king of Babylon, but Daniel had the testimony. Pilate, he had the title, but Jesus had the testimony. And that testimony changed the world. Here is the truth. I hate to break it to you, but one day you're going to die. And then they're going to take you out to the cemetery. They're going to dig a hole. They're going to throw dirt in your face. And everyone will go back to the church and eat potato salad. (laughs) And what's it all going to have amounted to, right? You see, one day, on the day that you were born, here's how it went. On the day that you were born, you were crying, but everyone else was smiling. And the question is, on the day you die, will you be the one smiling while everyone else is crying? And that depends. That depends on whether you know Jesus and on whether you have lived a life that is for titles or for testimony. So, title or testimony, which will it be? Your call. Jesus, empower us to live a life of testimony. We cannot do it without you. So Holy Spirit, fill us and empower us to move in your directions. If titles come our way, Lord, thank you, but help us to focus on testimony. And Lord, we will then testify that you're the one that made it all happen. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.